Captain, we have them. We've established Transporter Lock, the Star Trek Discovery podcast. Join Ken and Sabriel each week as they explore strange new episodes, seek out new plots and new characters, and boldly go where no podcast has gone before. And welcome to Transporter Lock, the Star Trek Disco- Star Trek Picard podcast. What? <laughs> Picard? Are we changing brands? Are we changing themes, focuses? What's going on here, Captain? The Star Wars podcast. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> the rise of Picard. <laughs> I love it. Well, I am Captain Sabriel Mastin, and as always, I am joined by my co-host, Chief Engineer... Oh, here, why don't I just let you introduce yourself? <laughs> Hello, Bree. I'm Chief Engineer Ken Gagney, and we are here today to talk about an entirely new Star Trek show that just debuted for the first time ever this month, January 2020, starting off the new decade with a brand new Star Trek show. Yeah, Star Trek Picard. This is the one I've been highly anticipating. Uh, how about you? Yeah, Patrick Stewart returning to his perhaps most famous role, certainly his most famous TV role, the show that my father introduced me to on September 28th, 1987, when TNG debuted, a character that we haven't seen be performed since Star Trek Nemesis, which is one of the movies we don't talk about. (laughs) And here he is, back in the captain's seat, metaphorically speaking. Yeah, it's a... uh, I won't rehash it too much, but there's a... It's been repeated over and over again, a story of how he got this job. Basically, they approached him. He's like, no, I'll never do this again. They approached him, no, I'll never do this again. And they approached him like, this is a really good story. I'll do it. Uh-huh. <laughs> right. <laughs> just got, you just got to keep asking until they say yes. Exactly. Uh, so, this episode we're talking about today is called Remembrance. It's the first episode of the first season. Spoiler. Uh, the first of two seasons because it's already been renewed. Yeah. So, this is great news. Yeah, we have um, 10 episodes in the first season, and who knows how many more in the second. I hope 100. That would be a very long season <laughs> and a very long podcast. Well, anyway, to recap what happened in this episode, Jean-Luc Picard, who's from Starfleet years ago in protest, and wakes up each day feeling melancholy, as he puts it, nursing an offended dignity. After a news interview about his past, he is visited by a young woman who has a secret about her past not even she knows about. The two begin to put the pieces of their shared history together, but are stopped by a tragic loss. By the end of the episode, Jean-Luc wants to solve this new mystery. Oh. Captain, you missed your calling as an <laughs> author so of TV Guide. So I wanted to open today. Uh, this is like a, this episode is one that um, is going to set us off for a whole season. I think it's eight episodes, ten episodes. Do you know? Ten. Cool. And ten. I think it did some things really well, but we're both watching this. We're both seeing this character we both grew up with like in like a few sentences how did you feel watching this on your first viewing well well, let me start off by saying that the summary was spoiler free but from here on out we assume that you the podcast listener have watched remembrance on cbs all access so if you're trying to avoid spoilers go ahead (laughs) and fast forward about 45 minutes (laughs) that's it so how did i feel watching picard well i will say that I was very hesitant to watch the show alone because for 18 years, Star Trek was a shared experience between me and my dad. My dad has been gone for four years and I watched the Discovery debut by myself and that was kind of hard. But this one hit even closer to home because as I said, this is the show that got me into Star Trek and it's all thanks to my dad. Captain Picard, he had the very first line of dialogue 
in Star Trek The Next Generation and Deep Space Nine. And so to see him come back and to not have somebody to share that with was something I was hesitant to do. So I had just recently moved to Durham, North Carolina. I went on meetup.com and I found a sci-fi fantasy geek group that was hosting a Picard party. And I was able to watch the show with a dozen other Trekkies, which was great. So everybody had that shared experience, that shared passion. They were so excited oh. that they chatted a lot over the show. <laughs> and I tried to be polite because I was the guest and I only shushed them once or twice. But I did come home and rewatch the episode again just to make sure I didn't miss anything. Uh, but as for how I felt watching the show, it, it was great to see him back. It was great to see Data back. I, and you know, we'll get more into the circumstances of his return. But I, I, think I was overall less emotional than I expected, maybe because I was around strangers and I didn't know how to be around them yet because I just, I'd never met them before, but I was very glad to share it with them. And I was very glad to be with people who appreciate Star Trek. Uh, as much as I, do. Like, I don't have that connection with a person that you do for Star Trek. Like, my parents got me into it, but not to the same level, same degree that you had. Uh, I grew up with it with friends. And so but even like ever since what Enterprise, I've been watching alone for the most part. Uh, and so, yeah, and here I watched alone here in my basement, as all nerds do. Uh, <laughs> but um, watching it for the first time for me, I just had this like constant sense of like, wow, wow, wow. Uh, Seeing these old characters, seeing these characters again, seeing what has happened in the prime universe again, uh, catching up with it as I think some might put it, catching up with old friends. And I loved just about every moment of it. More on that, I suppose, later. So did you have like any favorite scene or scenes you wanted to talk about? Well, certainly when the show opened with the Enterprise D, I believe it was the D, it could have been the E, flying through space. And then we zoom in and it's Picard and Data playing poker, which is exactly how All Good Things ended way back in 94. That was powerful to see these familiar characters, these familiar tropes, the poker, the Earl Grey tea. It was like coming home. Yeah, I, I would agree like 100%. It was the Enterprise D. Um, it, it, zooming into 10 forward. And uh, that was so wonderful to see, like, like seeing... One, seeing these characters come back again. Also, two, seeing these actors reprising these roles. And because I remember Brent Spiner years ago saying we had to kill off Data because he can't get old on uh, here. And like, they did a pretty good job of making him look younger, but still like accepting like, yep, he's an older man. <laughs> right. If you were to put today's Data next to the Data from 20 years ago, you could clearly tell which is which, but... I think under all that makeup, it still looks like data. So yeah. who cares? Uh, another scene I really liked was the news interview. Um, I was really angry at the reporter, but uh, the scene was great for me because we fill in the gaps of what's happened since uh, Star Trek 2009. And also uh, we just see more of Picard being Picard and setting up the story here too. Uh, he said like Starfleet is no longer Starfleet. And uh, when the reporter tried to press him on saving Romulans, she's like, Romulan lives. And he's like, no, lives. And like, this is so Picard. And this is so, that, that got me. That got me. Even my second viewing, it still hit me hard. 
Well, as somebody who has worked in the media, I was frustrated by the journalist because she did not respect the boundaries that had been outlined prior to the interview, the, the boundaries that they had said, these are the rules of engagement. And so I was frustrated because we live in an era where journalists are very often disparaged by our administration. And so to have this journalist just be such a stereotype of somebody who is going to do whatever they can to get the story regardless of how it makes the interviewee feel. I mean, my philosophy for when I interview somebody on a podcast or whatever is that I never want them to regret having spoken to me. And that was clearly not this interviewer's philosophy. So I wish they had given that character a bit more of a respectful stance, but I understand that they had to get Picard's story out. And I was surprised that Picard's story came out so quickly. Here's something that he has never talked about in the 14 years since Children of Mars. And we were told going into this show, oh, Picard quit Starfleet, but we don't know why. And the very first episode, oh, here's why. Mm -hmm. So that mystery is solved and now we can move on. I feel like that was a something to entice us. And then here it's like, okay, you're already in. Let's go. <laughs> uh, let's see. Another favorite ep scene, of course, when he went to the Starfleet quantum archives and we saw all those callbacks, which we can get into later on. But this was, again, a scene cementing that this is a continuation of TNG. And while it may be a new show for a new era with serial storytelling and a largely new cast, it is a show that is deeply respectful of and acknowledging of its roots. Yeah, I, I think like every uh, geek out there who had watched original or Next Generation was looking through the archive room, seeing what they could see. And we had like what the Stargazer, I saw the Enterprise E model, the D, uh, the Captain Picard Day thing. Uh, uh, the, I couldn't believe he had saved that. He yeah, saved the banner. They talked about that on uh, Will Wheaton's show. Was it Ready Room? Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, where like during that like, in the episode that that was in the Captain Picard day thing, he was like angry. He, he did not like that one bit, and to see that he kept that after all these years is uh, telling of this guy. Uh, Makes you wonder if maybe he was just putting on a tough guy act all those years. I mean, I know I've done that before. In <laughs> maybe not necessarily, but I mean, about certain things where it's just like, uh, uh, I don't mind it but i had to put it as act because i upset me once <laughs> but deep down it really got you you were touched by it yes <laughs> <laughs> however all of these callbacks and all the you know the very important role that data played which we'll get into i want to address this question first unlike discovery which is set earlier than tos doesn't require a lot of background knowledge to get into this show seems like somebody who's never watched TNG wouldn't be able to just dive in. They'd be like, who are the Romulans? Who are the Borg? What is the supernova? Who is Data? What's the synthetic? Who's Bruce Maddox? What is Starfleet Archives? I feel like there's a lot of stuff that isn't explained here because it assumes you already know what it is. Did you feel that to be the case? Uh, I hadn't thought about it, but absolutely. Like, like, I would say you wouldn't need to know who Bruce Maddox is if you've forgotten but, like, you definitely, it assumes you know who the Romulans are. It assumes you know who the Borg are. It assumes you know what Starfleet is. Uh, or it assumes you've also watched, well, I guess it doesn't assume you watched the short trek, because uh, you didn't really need to watch that, the Children of Mars. But um, it assumes you know the story of a lot of things. And, you know, maybe that's okay. You don't need to get, maybe they were like, we don't need to get new people in. 
because uh, we already have a huge fan base who loved TNG. And I mean, it only grew in popularity even after it was over. So uh, maybe it's okay. I, I certainly don't mind a show being made for me. And I think it's okay that these are sort of the two tent poles they have, Discovery and Picard. I'm sure there are people who love TNG who didn't get into Discovery because they're like, that's not my Star Trek. Star Trek is way too different. I mean, there are still people angrily tweeting to say, Discovery is a fine show, but it's no Star Trek. And so they're like, okay, for those who didn't like Discovery, here's Picard. And that's not to say you can't like both. Clearly, you and I do. But they have two very different kinds of treks now appealing to two very different kinds of audience, potentially. And I think that's a great thing. I just hope that people who liked Discovery and are trying to get into Picard don't find it confusing because, you know, the relationship between Picard and Data is going to continue to be important. And we haven't really seen what it is other than it's this guy he dreams about playing poker with. Yeah, I, I know the relationship between Picard and Data was very important to Patrick Stewart, like always. like, And that was one of the things he really wanted to emphasize in Nemesis. I know it didn't... Uh, Nemesis itself as a movie didn't pan out as well as everyone had hoped. But I know at the time, Patrick Stewart had high hopes for that relationship here. I think he really got happy probably when he got to both re-explore that relationship, something that dynamic he loved so much from from his show, and the changing of Starfleet. And I'm glad he gets to explore that more. Although to that end, I was disappointed about two things. One, that Data is only showing up in dreams and be very related that the hint we had at the end of nemesis that data's memories have been preserved in B4 did not pan out. I mean, I know that star Trek online is not Canon, but we had seen before become captain data of the starship enterprise, I believe. And I just thought that that teaser at the end of nemesis wouldn't fall flat, that there would be some hope behind it. That was what they wanted when they gave us that teaser was hope that maybe data isn't dead. And in this episode, they said, no, actually, as we saw him in nemesis, he is completely dead, but maybe some part of him is alive in these twin clones or whatever. Yeah. Well, I mean, we had hope for what, 15 years. I mean, we still had hope. I just like, it didn't turn out. He wasn't fortunate enough to have us, uh, R2-D2 unit to have a backup. Oh, well, let's not get into that. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, yeah. Shall we talk about some questions we have about the plot of the show, get a little less meta, meta and a little bit more concrete? Like, you mean like thinking about what could it mean for the future or just... Uh... Like this particular episode, at least. Like, I have a lot of questions about what the heck just happened. Well, start us off. Okay, well... We, you know, since we were just talking about Data, let's talk about when Picard went to the Daystrom Institute and found out that Data's positronic brain and all his memories could be reconstituted from a single neuron, but they have to create them in pairs, in twins. Now, first of all, how, where would they have gotten that neutron? And why did Bruce Maddox, who we imagine create these twins, why did he create them and why do they have to be twins? Those are three big questions right there. Yeah, the why it has to be twins thing uh, at the moment feels like a, we need a plot device to have twins, uh, the same character reappear. Uh, maybe it will be explained, uh, but I, I don't. I think it's one of those things that we just don't have enough information to know yet. Um, uh, I have a theory, though. What's that? Are you f- familiar at all with quantum entanglement and spooky action? 
spooky action part. No, why don't you fill us in? I mean, I'm definitely no physicist, not even from an Arden chair, but my understanding is that if you take a particle and split it in half, whatever you do to one particle happens to the other. For example, if you change the rotation of a half a particle from counterclockwise to clockwise, the other one will change instantaneously as if there was no separation between them, as if they didn't know they'd been cut in half. So I don't know. Maybe they had a neutron of data, and the only way they could clone it was to split it in half, and that makes two of them. I I don't know. You know, that feels plausible. There was a lot of mention, even just the word quantum in this episode. I know it's a Star Trek thing, but but this feels like there was a lot of quantum. Maybe it's just me fitting something that they said into what you just uh, threw out there, but I don't know, maybe it's a hints, hints of some kind. Yeah, but because clearly some memories of data were alive if Drash knew to go seek out Picard, but also like her mom, when she called her on the phone, her mom clearly said, go to Picard, he'll keep you safe. So this wasn't just a memory of data. This was a directive that she was designed with very intentionally. Why do people think that Picard could keep her safe when in the end he couldn't? Yeah. Uh, well, heck, even uh, her mom. Uh, I wrote down she was either being coerced, like they knew where she was, which I don't believe, or her mom knew what Dodge is or was. Oh, I absolutely believe the latter. And also when the daughter said, how did you know I went to Picard? You'll notice that the video interface fizzed out for a second there. Yeah. Almost, almost as if the mom was an AI that had to you know, reassess this new variable and respond to it. Yeah, I, that was a really weird moment. I thought that was uh, interesting as well. Like, what just happened here? Especially my second viewing. Like, what is going on here? Um, you know, uh, maybe her mom was something like Juliana Tainer, Data's mom, quote unquote. Uh, in, was it season six or seven of Next Gen? Seven. Seven. Uh, Juliana Tainer came in and turned out she was also an android. Oh, yeah, so that's true. There is another data android out there somewhere. Did she die at the end or did she live on? That part's foggy. Uh, she got damaged and data had the opportunity to tell her that she was an android, but instead they just fixed her up and he said, you know, if I told you, if I told her she's an android, that's then I right. wouldn't be alone, but I'd also destroy her sense of identity. So he just sent her off on that's her own. That's right. That's right. And we also, I kept thinking of Lol, uh, the daughter that data created earlier in the show. What about her? Uh, it was just reminding me of her, uh, but not necessarily that it's going to have anything to do with the story. It was more like this. Just kept, I just kept thinking of that episode. Uh, I didn't actually have anything beyond that. It's just callbacks kind of thing feeling. Uh, but we've known for a long time that Data's always wanted uh, a daughter. Yeah, the painting that he made that was called Daughter, he drew that in season six of Star Trek. And Lol, what season was she created in? I thought it was way earlier. Yeah, it was season three or four. Here, So how come two years after his daughter dies, he draws a painting, calls it Daughter, and it is not a painting of his daughter? That was season three, episode 16, The Offspring. So that was... Three years later, he draws a picture of a daughter and is not lol. I mean, we also don't know that he didn't draw more between them either, but um, 
and also could be just projecting. I mean, who knows? Data probably doesn't know half the things why he does what he does. Did what he did. Kind of like a person. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, here, okay. One of my interest things of interest that I wrote down, which may or may not be related related to this, is that in Picard's dream in the opening, Data played his hand, and it had five Queen of Hearts cards. And obviously, it was a dream, but something about that feels important to me. Maybe it means there's five of these girls, actually, and not two. Maybe there's five androids out there. I really don't know. But it feels important. Kind of reminds me, I'm not saying this is related. I'm just reminded of the TNG episode, Cause and Effect, yeah. where he stacked the deck to play specific cards. Uh, where yeah. Fraser uh, right. comes out of the hole. <laughs> yeah, Captain Morgan Bateman. But you're right. He could have, Data in that dream could have won that hand of cards with any winning combination. It could have been a royal flush. It could have been a full house. Why five of the same card and why the queen of hearts? I mean, it could be minor because it's a dream and weird things happen in dreams. Like last night I dreamt I was flying around on some sort of a hoverboard Mm -hmm. and that's not going to happen. But why queen of hearts? I'm sure there'll be more dreams in the future. Yeah, and it was Picard dreaming that. And so, just, uh, I can't wait to find out if that's any even relevant. Um, where to go next? Oh, Maddox. Yeah, what about him? Uh, in the episode, was it Measure of a Man? Yes. Uh, he was, he came off as very intentionally antagonistic, mean, the bad guy, quote unquote. Uh, but I know he wanted things for the greater good. And, and uh, he lost that case to take Data apart because he couldn't guarantee that Data would still be Data. But um, like here, it's mentioned at the Daystrom Institute by um, a woman who played Kim Pine in uh, uh, Scott Pilgrim. Oh, that's drummer. her? I thought yeah. she looked familiar. <laughs> Oh like, my oh, gosh! She got a job in the future, uh, <laughs> but um, wow. she mentions that he disappeared and she's been unable to find him. So that means to me, he is going to be a player in the future episodes, or work that he did is going to be relevant to. The, he may not be there, but work he did when he disappeared becomes relevant. I'm sure he is going to play a role. I would not be surprised if he's the one who created these perfect androids. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking too. But I'm also concerned about the idea of creating an android that is made of flesh and blood. I mean, I have two questions to that. One is, in what way is it an android if it's made of flesh and blood? And second of all, how is it any different from the bad guys from Battlestar Galactica? Yeah, it's clearly he has not seen those episodes or there's no like (laughs) BSG 2399. Apparently not. (laughs) Um. Yeah. I, I was like, I feel like, what's the drive to make human androids? But also, like, we're doing that nowadays. People are trying to make AI or robots that are like us. Uh. And so, like, I think maybe because we can, or because it's there, is the adage. Like, why do it? Because we can try. Can or because we can try. Uh. Not not necessarily. Should we or should we not? <laughs> Well, this brings back some more foundational questions I have about the intervening era between Nemesis and Picard, which is, 
what kind of synthetics were they creating in the meantime? Because these are the things that took over and attacked Mars. At first, I thought it was literally the ships that we were seeing, but it may have been androids piloting the ships. And what happened to them? I mean, who or what are these synthetics that were banned? Yeah, like what were they doing? We know that after um, author, author, and Voyager, they were using holograms for hard labor, like like uh, mining. I think it was in the episode at the end. Yep. And so, like, what made them switch to building androids? Or you know, like they were talking about, I think even a measure of man of having an android in every ship, kind of thing. Uh, and so, because you could put them in more dangerous environments, just like we use robots today to go to Mars, uh, and. But I was like, why would they attack Mars? Like, why would they destroy Utopia Planet? You basically destroy Mars or any usability there. And like, also, that's another question. Like, why did they do it? Was it a protest of the Romulan thing? Was it Riemann's uh, unhappy with things? Like, why? What's the connection there? And we just don't have enough information. <laughs> like, well, that's a big thing that we forgot to overlook, which is leading up to Picard. It never once occurred to me. I don't know why that the effects of the 2009 Star Trek movie would be present here. But that's exactly what happened was the Romulan supernova that caused Nero and Spock to go back in time are exactly what is the reason for the events of Picard. It's the same universe, ultimately. I mean, it's not the same universe. There's still the Prime Universe and the Kelvin Universe, different timelines. But that incident, that supernova exists in both. Yeah, they made 2009 canon with Prime, I mean, essentially. Right, uh, they, and, that, like, and and they clarified that the Prime timeline continued past that event. Yeah, which I am I mean, happy to see. I assumed that's what... I didn't know if they would make that canon or not in Picard. I just Maybe if it was said, I didn't see enough of the previews. But uh, I'm happy that they did. I'm happy they did. And we can explore that universe after the fact. And I think that's cool. However, I do agree with Picard that the Starfleet decision to not save the Romulans and even that reporter's belief about helping the enemy, that seemed just very non-Starfleet. I mean, when the Changelings attacked Cardassia, we were there to help them. And in the books, we established relief efforts to help Cardassia after losing 800 million citizens to the bombardment that the Changelings occurred. And... For us to not help the Romulans, especially when they asked for it, I mean, yeah, we initially supported the relief effort, but then they called it off. That seems very un-Starfleet-like, as well as banning synthetics, because we said in Measure of a Man, the whole reason that Starfleet exists is to, is to discover new life forms. Well, there it is, sitting, waiting for us. And now we go and ban them? These are these. I totally agree with Picard. These two things are criminal. Uh, maybe bluegills came and changed Starfleet and took back over. Those little aliens from the first season of an uh, Oh, conspiracy! Gen. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, no, you're right. And I know that Roddenberry always saw humans as uh, they turned into utopian society, or basically everyone agrees. But I'm glad like to see like no, not everyone agrees. And apparently, at this point in time, the helping the Cardassians was seen. Well, maybe it was unpopular with a lot of people, but they did it anyway. Uh, but that uh, apparently for some people, the hundreds of year long, years long, uh, this, this unhappiness or unease around the Romulans uh, was prevalent. I mean, 
they were the first galaxy or the, the first uh, other species in the galaxy that the humans went to war with back in the Enterprise. Even, even before the Klingons? Yeah, uh, Enterprise. The okay. Romulan War was um, uh, the first war that happened. I mean, there were skirmishes, you know, like fights, but no, um, Starfleet's first war, the humans' first war was with Romulans. The Federation fought with the Klingons. Okay. Hmm. Like the Federation came out of the results of the Romulan War. And yet we saw very little overt racism toward the Romulans in this episode or in Children of Mars. Yeah, I we mean, saw Romulans all over. Or, or, or not all over. We had, we has two, at least, on his chateau. <laughs> right. And in Children of Mars, we were wondering who the principal was. We now suspect he was a Romulan, even though that was around the same time as the supernova 14 years ago. Yeah, uh, like I mentioned there, he gave strong vibes of a Romulan, Romulan but not necessarily was. And uh, yeah, interesting. I Although like it. it did, it did occur to me it was a little sort of a like a almost a. I hesitate to say white savior because it's not racist; it's speciesist to have Picard as the savior and these two Romulans who are basically his manservants working for him. Um. I know a few people online called him that, like, like uh, something like that. I feel like more like people who respected him dearly, because they kept calling him Admiral or Sir. Mm-hmm. And like, these were two, clearly two military officers who had utmost respect for him and and knew he was older and they wanted to be with him. I mean, plenty of families have older people that they live with and care for still. And you think they were military? Servants. They gave me an essence of, in their past, they had been. Interesting. So, in I, fact, I didn't pick up on that. Admiral and Sir. And it could I mean, be the way that these Romulans gave their respect. I don't know. But that's just, that's just how I felt. I mean, I think of it sort of like how we still refer to former presidents of the United States as president, even though they don't currently hold that title. It's just a sign of respect. Yeah, that's possible. So, since we are talking about the Romulans, we saw a lot of them at the end of the episode. We saw the Romulan reclamation site, which when panned out, is a Borg cube. And when you introduce the Borg to conversations about perfect androids and rogue synthetics, the conversation becomes much more complex. What do you think is going on with the Borg? Yeah, that, um, so, so, to me, it felt like because that we had a human or well, maybe maybe she's the only one. I guess I didn't see any other. Uh, oh, oh, I'm talking about. Um, oh, what was her name? Uh, Soji? No. Uh, yeah, Soji Asha. Yeah, Soji. She might be the only human-like. I guess we know she's a synth now, but she would think she's human. Who's working there? I don't know if this is a joint effort between the Romulans and uh, her or the human or Starfleet to reclaim a Borg cube because um, like, the Romulans need somewhere to live. Uh, and some may not want to be on planets. Some may want to try to restore their heritage somehow other ways. Um, and so that was fascinating to me. I saw, I was looking in the background, like just before we recorded, I finished up the second viewing of the episode and there were people patrolling like guards, people carrying rifles around, uh, what looked like repurposed, uh, regeneration chambers, even in the background. I saw that too. Yeah, and like, what could they possibly be doing here? And that scene, I was like, whoa, cool. The scene with Nevik 
coming up to her and kind of talking to her, that fell flat to me. That felt so flat to me. Like this guy is being propped up with the music as being an antagonist. And that scene just like did not do a single thing for me. Yeah, I supposedly there's some chemistry between these two characters. I did not see it at all in this episode. And uh, however, I did note that when we first go to the Romulan Reclamation site and we see the Bird of Prey flying into the Borg cube, Memory Alpha pointed out that the incidental music being played there is based on Balance of Terror, the very first Romulan episode from TOS. Haha, <laughs> nice. Yeah. But I do, so I, I don't think that this is a joint effort with Starfleet. I don't, I think Starfleet has abandoned the Romulans in every way, shape, and form, including, you know, not only the rescue 14 years ago, but I don't think the Romulans would trust them anymore when they said, you were going to help us save 900 million people and now you're calling it off. I don't think that they would trust them for any further help. It, it and could I, be different factions. Factions of the Romulans? Yeah. That's possible. I mean, you know, just because the official Romulan government said no doesn't mean others might say yes. But I don't think Star Trek, Star Trek, I don't think Starfleet would authorize the repurposing of a Borg cube. I think it's just too dangerous. I think that they would try to destroy every cube that they could. Or they would keep it themselves. <laughs> yeah, they would definitely wouldn't trust it to the Romulans, who are their sworn enemy. They swell. I mean, at the end of Nemesis, we saw some signs of change there. Hmm. But we also, as you were discussing last week on our previous episode, there's been a lot happening in the books to suggest that the Borg are no longer around. And we even saw at the end of Voyager, which was one of the most recent episodes of Star Trek in the timeline, that the Borg may have potentially been destroyed by a virus that Admiral Janeway planted in the Borg Queen. If that took effect and had the consequences that we suspect it did, then these cues might just be floating out there, derelict, waiting to be claimed as space salvage. Yeah, I mean, I could just think of the balance of power having control of one of those. Or the balance of terror. <laughs> the balance of terror. Yeah, I, I would be interested to see if they make the books somewhat canon with the Kalinar, or if they just do go ahead with the Janeway thing of like, no, she finished them off. Well, the fact that we know Seven of Nine is going to show up in a future episode definitely suggests there's some tie-in with Voyager. Yeah, which I'm excited to see. Yeah, but I, I'm very suspect about you know Borg nanoprobes and uh, and this doctor who is a perfect android being on a Borg cube, and us believing that those two technologies are not interacting. I think that there are some malevolent forces at work here, even if they're not aware of them. Yeah, heck, maybe Soji even knows, but I, I don't think she. The way they give me a vibe is she doesn't know at this point either she does know that she had a sister which yeah. the other one did not know apparently we don't know if she's talking about uh dodge as though oh you, oh i just thought so, of that now we don't know i mean they're made in pairs and up until now i was assuming there's only one pair but there could be multiple pairs yeah interesting but yeah, that, that board cube, that's giving me lots of bad vibes. And not just because it's surrounded by Romulan mines. <laughs> Freaking Romulan mines. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. So, uh, do we have any questions we haven't... Well, I mean, we've been talking about the... We've been trying to answer questions about how did we get to this point. Do we have any questions about where we think it might go from here? 
Oh, some of them are positive already. Like, like um, what do the synthetics have to do with either the destruction of Romulus or its evacuation? Like when they destroyed um, the Mars, uh, Utopia Planitia and Mars, basically. Yeah, we don't know why that happened. And we still don't 14 years later. And I suspect it has something to do with Bruce Maddox. I, I, I think maybe he was working on some AI and it went rogue. I, I don't know if maybe the Borg were involved somehow. They were trying to destabilize the Quadrant. Because I think even in the Borg, it's, I think even in, in the book, maybe some of the ones that William Shatner wrote, I think the Romulans and the Borg had an alliance at one point. Oh, <laughs> that's right. I, I, I didn't really remember hearing about that now that you mentioned that. I've forgotten that entirely. Yep. Yeah, that happened. So it's possible that Bruce Maddox either directly or indirectly caused these synthetics to be made or uh, go rogue, as it were. Yeah, I mean, even though I just su- suggested it, I don't think that's likely. I don't think Bruce Maddox is the bad guy here. He kind of reminds me of Matt Frewer's character in Timeless, where he invented something really powerful and then regretted the implications of it. Matt Frewer, is that the guy who played Russ, uh, Berlingoff? The guy, time traveler from the future and next gen? And I think it's yes. yes. Yes, and Max Headroom, of course. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, see, yeah, I, I, my questions I had for the future were Romulans repurposing, repurposing a Borg cube? <laughs> Did you watch the trailer for the next episode? Uh, I watched the bit that said coming up in the future of Picard. It didn't say, at least the one I saw didn't say next episode. It just said like, what's coming in Picard. You're right. You're right. That is not specifically the next episode, but it did point out that there are other TNG characters coming back, which I did not know about. It showed that some characters we were introduced to in this episode are going to be recurring characters, which I did not realize. And this is why I don't watch trailers and why I'm going to stop watching them from now on. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So yeah, um, I won't mention any of those people, but I, I was already all in. And now I'm still all in. All in plus one. I don't know. Uh. You know, one thing I haven't mentioned yet, and which I want to bring up before we wrap up, is Patrick Stewart is older now. And Jean-Luc Picard has never really been an action hero, not like Kirk was. But I was wondering how much action we're going to see Picard engaging in as opposed to the people around him. And even in this episode, when he was trying to run up the stairs... Like his character had to stop and say, Josh, wait, I can't. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he was, he was catching his breath. Earlier in the scene, he was running faster, but we only saw him from behind. I suspect that was a stunt double. And so I wonder, like, what is the pace of this series going to be when the main character is nearly an octogenarian? It's going to be like uh, in League of Extraordinary Gentlemen when they tried to put uh, Sean Connery in an action role when he's in his 70s. And... <laughs> His scenes of action were him throwing very slow haymakers and plenty of quick cuts. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I mean, since I said Patrick Stewart's character has never been an action hero, I don't expect that to change necessarily. But this is also a very different era of Star Trek. I mean, we saw a lot of action in that rooftop battle, which I thought was awesome. But Picard was just sitting there watching. Yeah. And, you know, you know maybe that's why we're bringing on a number of other characters in the future. Mm-hmm. To help with that action, and we didn't talk about those um, invaders, the 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 people in black, the men in black, as it were. Yeah, we saw that they appeared Romulan, and but we don't know what faction they belong to. We don't know if it's the same group that's on the Borg. We don't know why 
they were trying to capture Draj and they originally asked her, where are you from? Where are the rest? As opposed to where's the other one? Mm-hmm. They wasn't, weren't asking about just one other perfect android, but a whole series of them. And we don't know why, for example, they were beaming in to kidnap her when they could have just beamed her out. I'm guessing the same inbuilt cloaking device that she had prevented her from being beamed. Yeah, uh, it's, it's a good hypothesis. I didn't even think of that. Because, yeah, like when they first come in and they start speaking in the alien, we, I mean, unless you like know Romulan, which I don't think it's ever been written down, uh, they're like, no, speak English. And then uh, they start yelling at her. And at this point in my head, I'm still thinking it could be humans or, or mixed, ra- mixed race attackers. And then on the top of the um, Anaheim Convention Center, or the Starfleet Archives, they <laughs> uh, I the whole scene. I'm you're like, I've been there, I've been there. I'll walk through that door. But anyway, um, uh, we clearly saw at least two of them were Romulan, and um, and and on one spits acid. What? Yeah, what was up with that? I mean, uh, we see her suddenly start melting. And the pulse rifle overloading and exploding and killing her. And both of these things seem very avoidable. I mean, she was able to leap like a vampire or even a force endowed Jedi. And she can't get away from an exploding rifle. Well, she did. She at that point, she seemed more concerned about the I'm melting. And then to, to really think about the, the uh, acid that's also breaking through the disruptor rifle or whatever. Um, uh, But then, I mean, happened in what, two seconds, three seconds? Wait, oh, d- did the acid melt through the pulse rifle? Yeah, Is yeah. that what caused it to explode? Yeah, it watched, it did that too. Like, it, it, he spit on both her and it. And oh. so that's when it goes, ee- and then boom. And it seemed like whatever he did to spit on her was also effectively a suicide pill for himself. Yeah, because it was all over his mouth too. Ugh. And so, uh, in true Star Trek fashion, while heavily implied that she died, uh, who knows? There is no body. Yeah. And also in cinematic fashion, the huge explosion and fireball, rather than engulfing Captain Picard, simply propel him away from the danger. And rather than being taken to a hospital, they send him back to France. <laughs> well, so I thought about that a bit more. Because uh, they said they talked to police. So it's very possible that he was checked up on medically they're like, okay, you're fine. We did all that we can here. You might as well just go lay down back at home. It was weird that he was in, on a couch and not in bed. But uh, maybe medical care in the future was like, all right, we can't do anything more for him here other than just have a bed for him. I, I, I mean, that's me extrapolating, like, it's future tech. But not necessarily plausible or correct. <laughs> because this is not the timeline where we extracted blood from Khan Noonien Singh that can cure everything, including death. <laughs> Right. You know, that's the Kelvin universe. <laughs> but yeah, it was a, a little hand-wavy. Just like, oh, he needs to be in France right now. He needs to be with his Vulcan compatriots, uh, Romulan. So let's send him back to France. Yeah. Which, you know, that's fine. Whatever. Um, one last question. This is very minor. And this is, I mean, not the last question for the episode. If you have more, that's great. But the last one I find Warren asking is the Quantum Archives. Do you think that all those physical artifacts are physically stored there or have their patterns been placed into a buffer where they can be reconstituted that was on my demand. question as well uh to me <laughs> it was very implied to me that it was like the jedi archives and they all quantumly stored uh and then i can pull out into certain rooms as needed but uh because otherwise like 
there's a lot of people in the universe. There's a lot of people in Starfleet. If you had a room for each each Starfleet officer, Federation officer, uh, to me it felt like they hold them in quantum storage, and then here you go. Uh, here's your but room. Then, but what's to prevent any one of those things from being replicated if they have the pattern and the buffer? Yeah, because he mentioned multiple times. Well, well, I think it was more because he's like, make sure that the data thing is real, but he's like, has no one else been here? And of course the Android or the, the holograms like, Nope, no one has no one even for maintenance. Well, as we've seen in plenty of Star Trek or sci-fi, someone can always erase the records. Right. You know, they can erase a whole planet and Bruce Maddox somehow saw that painting. And also is index not a synthetic life form? Uh, no, it was an Android. I, I thought about it too. I looked at the definition of Android or, or synthetic and basically, uh, it felt like very phys- the the word itself is very like physical, and no, not it, index is a hologram. Yeah, that's what you asked, isn't it? You, I said, is she a synthetic? Yeah, and, and I'm said saying she's no. an android, and you said she's an android. Oh, okay, misspoke. Uh, she's a hologram, and synthetic strongly implies a uh, actual physical object. Oh, so I had the same question and looked it up shortly before we started talking. So is the is the doctor from Voyager a synthetic? Uh. Not according to the like Google definition, but uh, even even Picard is like, let's not focus on words. When Dodge is like, so I'm an android. He's like, or android brings up bad uh, connotations or something like that. Hmm. I don't know if we're gonna tie if the show is gonna tie Voyager back in. I want to know what's gonna what has happened to Picard. Uh, I keep saying Picardo, Doctor Picardo. Um, <laughs> Dr. Zimmerman. I want to know what happened to the holographic doctor from Voyager. I do too. And, the- and I suppose it might, I, mean, I don't want to say it's not spoiler. I know there was some talk trying to get him in season two. And as we know from Patrick Stewart's recent appearance on the talk show, The View, Whoopi Goldberg will be coming back as Guinan. Well, at least was she accepted, whether she will. Uh, but she accepted. So I'm like, I, th- I think it's a strong proponent unless something changes, which I can't wait. <laughs> yeah. And that invitation came not just from Patrick Stewart, but from Alex Kurtman and the rest of the show. However, if you ask Whoopi Goldberg on live television to come on to Star Trek after she just said it's one of the best experiences she's ever had, she's going to say yes. Yeah. It's like one of those things like you don't ask someone to marry you in a very public place because <laughs> they feel forced well, to say yes, even if they don't want to. I, I remember this one episode of Johnny Carson where he's sitting down talking with his lead musician, Doc Severin, and he says to Doc if he wanted to come over to his house, the Carson house for Thanksgiving. And Doc Severin's like... If if your boss and the host of your show asks you on national television to come to your house for Thanksgiving, you say, yes, Johnny, I would love to. <laughs> like, what <laughs> else are you going to say? That was even referenced here. Uh, 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 one of Picard's friends, uh, the Romulans there, uh, we were talking about for the interview. He's like, oh, you look great. And, and uh, Picard's – or he's like, basically, he's yeah, like, he says silly. that because – Yeah. Uh, he's like, no, I have to say that if I want to keep my job. <laughs> right. Yep. So, I don't know, maybe what Whoopi Goldberg said will or will not come to fruition. It's not a promise, but it's certainly promising. Yes, yes. Yeah, uh, I had some random things I noticed in the episode, like I tend to have, if you are interested in hearing them. Go for it. Uh, in the opening of the show, their show, uh, Greater Boston, where Dodge's apartment is at, and we see on one of the buildings, I was trying to figure out which actual one it was in Boston, but uh, the Ferengi Alliance has a, a building there in Boston. Uh, it had a big, huge Ferengi Alliance symbol plastered on the side of it. Uh, hmm. Oh, heck, even Boston in the future had a very, very um, uh, Blade Runner 
2049 feel to it with the advertising on the side of the buildings being projected. Yep. And that was kind of interesting. Uh, there was also one for Kings with a crown. And that made me, uh, that made me think of Kings bowling, but uh, I'd forgotten about the London Kings. And so they're a baseball team, right? Exactly. Yep. And so one or the other, or just coincidence. I don't know. Um, and Dodge's boyfriend was uh, Zaheen, the same race as Poe from the very first short track. Oh, interesting. Oh, nice catch. Uh, I noticed oh. the I thing, and I couldn't remember the name. I had to look up the name of the race. But oh. uh, You didn't point out in the advertisements in Boston, but it was also one for Cassidy Yates International oh. Freight Company. Yeah, yeah, go Cassidy. After she left to go work as a medical examiner on Castle, and after she went to go as work as the chief engineer on the Orville, she went back to her roots and got back into shipping. <laughs> uh, chief medical officer. Yes. <laughs> and not chief engineer. Whatever I said. Person who works on things makes them better. <laughs> it's like an. It's like uh, um uh. What's her like name? The discovering... comedian from Star Trek. Yes, yeah. <laughs> it's, same, it's all the same. <laughs> um, the also it may or may not be important. Uh, in Dodge's apartment when she was first attacked, just before the attack, they zoom in on the orchids that are in her room, and the uh, what are they called? The anther, the little fiddly bits inside the flower retract they withered yeah and you know it's that's my is this important because why would they zoom in on this i i thought that may have been the flower that her father made that named she named after him that made me think or afterwards. That he named after her yeah that made what? me think afterwards with the fact that they show this happening just before the action increased uh like these anthers are retracting. Like something feels weird about that. Oh, kind of like threat ganglia? Yes, yes. Mm. Like I, I think it was it. just another sign that this is an alien future. Uh, possibly. I guess we'll see in the future here. Uh, two other things I, not- I noticed in the episode in the background. Like when they're panning over San Francisco, the future, the Golden Gate Bridge roadway is entirely covered by solar panels. Nice. And like we don't use roads anymore. Or we do use roads, but not. No need for a bridge when we have flying cars. Um, and also, I this is just for general truckiness. Like the opening of the show is Bing Crosby's "Blue Skies," which is the same song that uh, Data sang at the wedding of Riker and Troy, and the B four and Picard sang at the end of Nemesis. Yep, that's true. Uh, and that's what I had. Very observant. I appreciate it. So. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Anything you add, more you wanted to add? No, that that's pretty much it. I think that sums up the episode. Cool. So I think that wraps up our first review of Star Trek Picard, which is very clearly not Star Trek Discovery, which this podcast was launched to cover. So this is, I don't know, Transporter Lock Picard. But nonetheless, we are here to cover all your Star Trek shows, regardless of what era they are set in, what cast they include, or what continuation of a story it is. Until next time, hit it. If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave a review on iTunes and keep your hailing frequencies open by following us on Twitter at TransporterLock or subscribing to our podcast and email newsletter at TransporterLock.com. <laughs>